unto him who has loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Unto him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Word of God for our sermon on this Reformation Day is from the, sec- the first letter of the Apostle Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. They were read earlier. They're short, two short verses. I'll read them again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. My dear fellow believers in Jesus Christ, what's a priest? He's a mediator, a go-between, a representative who goes between God and people. He represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. Now, what does a priest do as such a mediator, such a go-between? Well, he offers sacrifices to God for the people. He prays to God for the people. He intercedes to God for the people. And he sacrifices himself on behalf of the people. On the flip side, the priest speaks to the people for God. He is the face of God to the people. He teaches the people about God. He blesses the people for God. That's what a priest is, a mediator, a go-between. In the Old Testament, only the sons of Aaron... Aaron's the brother of Moses, right? Only they could be priests. Only they could go to the holy place in the temple. Only they could offer sacrifices there at the altar of burnt offering. Only they could approach God directly for the people. But things have changed with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Things have changed for us New Testament Christians, believers, since our Jesus has fulfilled his work of salvation. You see, now in the New Testament era, all Christians are priests of God. That is one of the beautiful truths that Dr. Martin Luther and the other reformers of his era restored to the Christian church in the 1500s when the Reformation took place. This glorious, beautiful truth of the Bible of the priesthood of all believers. And today, Reformation Day, we celebrate the Reformation by remembering this precious truth of scriptures. Every Christian, a priest. And we'll see two things. Number one, that Christ has ordained us. And secondly, that 
Christ has commissioned us. The Christian church of Luther's day had almost lost the gospel. You know, Luther's main question in life, which, by the way, should also be our main question in life, was simply this. How do I find a gracious God? Or to put it another way, how do I know that God loves me? How am I certain that I am a forgiven sinner and that God will receive me into heaven on the day that I die? How do I get right with this God? And how do I possess eternal life? Sadly, the church of Luther's day gave Martin Luther the wrong answer to his question. See, instead of the Bible answer, the church of Luther's day told him he had to work harder and harder. Huh? He had to keep all those laws of God. They told him to carry out the commandments of the Lord. They told him he had to pray harder and harder. He had to do more good works. In fact, they even added their own man-made laws and rules, telling people that they had to make pilgrimages to the Holy Land if they could. They had to become monks or nuns. They were telling them to buy indulgences or to pray people out of purgatory. Do this. Don't do that. Work, work, work. One law after another. More laws than you could shake a stick at. And the more Luther tried to do that, the worse he felt. But worst of all was what the church of Luther's day didn't tell him. They didn't tell him that Jesus Christ had already paid for all of his sins long ago before he was ever born, huh? They didn't tell Luther that his sins were completely forgiven before he ever prayed or even thought about it. Huh? They didn't tell Luther that he didn't have to do anything, huh? That eternal life was already his as God's free gift. They didn't tell Luther that simple faith or simple trust in Jesus, that was enough to save him and to give him a right standing with God. In a word, they didn't tell Luther the wonderful, beautiful gospel. Oh, but God had mercy on Martin Luther. God helped Luther to find the gospel anyway. Commissioned as he was to teach the letter to the Romans at this brand new University of Wittenberg, Luther found in the Bible what the church of his day refused to give him. And that is the good news of God's righteousness that had already been won for him by Jesus Christ. There in the introduction to the letter to the Romans, in chapter 1, verse 17, Luther read this Bible passage. In the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith and is given to us for the purpose of creating faith. For the righteous will live by faith. What Luther tried to work hard for, what Luther could never have won in a million years of trying, God had already established and given to him. His perfect righteousness, won by his son Jesus. What Luther wanted more than anything else, God had already put into his lap with the gospel. 
And my friends, that's when the Reformation started. Oh yeah, we celebrated historically by the, the 95 statements on the door there of the church in Wittenberg, but the real beginning of the Reformation began when Luther realized that Christ had redeemed the whole world, had forgiven the whole world its sins, and that this forgiveness of sins is received by people by faith alone, and that it is God's word alone that tells us this and is our authority. And the result is what we read in our text. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. These words speak about every believer in Jesus. Every Christian is a priest. Washed clean by the blood of Jesus, God has made every believer in Jesus into a holy person, someone who can stand before God. Notice that Peter says, you are. The word are, that's a present tense, a present verb. See, that's how God sees us right now. This is how God sees you and me personally in the present. He doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't view our imperfections. All he sees through our faith in Christ is Christ himself and his perfect holiness that now belongs to us. And even though many sins still cling to us in our daily lives, God doesn't see them because of Jesus. Christ has washed them off of our record, and it's just as if we didn't do any of them. That's the gospel. And it all began at our baptism, huh? When the pastor put his water on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That put faith in Jesus into our hearts in a miraculous way, huh? Our baptisms set us apart for God, and they ordain us into God's holy priesthood. Martin Luther once said, priests are not ordained. They are baptized. Even the smallest and the youngest Christian is someone who can go to God directly in faith in Jesus and can act the part of a priest. He can pray boldly to God as a holy person. He can intercede for some other individual. He can offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to God. You see, we don't need someone like a parish priest or a pastor or some other church leader to do our religion for us. Through Christ, we have direct access to God and we can approach his throne of grace. Because all of us Christians are priests, we can do all of the things that priests do. We are mediators, go-betweens between God and people. We can represent people to God. And we can represent God to people. We represent people to God by, by praying for them, by interceding for them. For example, we can pray for our spouses, our husbands, our wives, 
our children, our grandchildren, for our fellow Christians, especially in our congregation here of believers. We can intercede for our nation and our state, for the people who run our government, our president, our governor, our city councils, everybody in government. We can pray especially for people in our neighborhoods, for those people that we encounter on a daily basis. We can offer sacrifices for people, not sacrifices to take away sin. Christ did that once and for all when he died on the cross, when he gave that for the whole world. But we can't offer up to God sacrifices of thanksgiving and worship and praise that give honor and glory to our God for the kind of God that he is. We can sacrifice ourselves by the giving of our time and our money and all of our efforts on behalf of those people around us who are in need. And on the flip side of being a priest or a mediator, we can represent God to this world. We can be the face of Jesus to other people, to people who are hurting over their sins, people who are making a mess out of their lives with their bad behavior. We can teach and proclaim the word and the will of God to the people of our world, from little children in our schools and and in our homes, all the way up to those who are about to die. For you see, when people see us, we can be a portrait of Christ to them. Priests! That's what we are, all of us, every one of us. It's what Jesus himself has ordained us to be. And let us never deny what kind of a blessing that is. But we must go on and see that it's a special type of priesthood that we Christians are in this New Testament era. You see, God has combined another aspect to our priesthood. And that is brought out by the phrase royal priesthood. See, we believers, we Christians, we are kingly priests and queenly priests, if you will, as we function as mediators. We utilize the power and the authority of kings and queens that Jesus has made us to be. And that's the second part of our sermon for today, that every Christian is a priest, yeah? Christ has commissioned us. Peter tells us in our text for today the purpose of our priesthood. When he says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into God's wonderful light. Dr. Martin Luther and the other reformers rediscovered the wonderful privilege that every Christian has, and that is to proclaim the gospel as God's priest wherever God puts him or her in this life. And you see, when you understand the power of the gospel, when you understand the, the strength that the gospel gives us, then you realize you can proclaim that same gospel to your world in absolutely everything that you do in life. There's no such thing, you see, as some things being <clears throat> holy and sacred and some, some things being secular and worldly. Uh-uh. 
There's no compartmentalization of things as though, you know, we act religious when we go to church or Bible class or go to our Christian school, but then we live like the world when we're out there in the world, forgetting all that, huh? Everything we do in life is to be an expression of our priestly nature. Everything that we do is to be a declaration of the praises of him who has called us into his kingdom of grace and made us to be what we are, his dear children, washed clean in his blood and heirs of eternal life. We're priests for Christ all the time, wherever we go and whatever we do. So when we deliberate about what kind of a career we're going to have, what kind of work we're going to do for the rest of our lives, we're commissioned to be priests for Jesus in that work. And when we go off to school, off to college, away from mom and dad, right, we're commissioned to be priests for Jesus there. And when we get up on Monday morning, and trudge off to work for another work week, right? Or when we talk with our neighbors, or when we interact with them. When we get older and get retired, right? And the end of life is more on the horizon, right? Whatever it is, we're commissioned to be priests for Jesus. When we go on dates and find life's partner and get married and raise our children, and interact with all of our family members. We're commissioned to be priests for Jesus. You see, the sacred and the secular, uh, they all come together and blend together for us believers. For in everything, Peter says, we declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into God's wonderful light. This truth has special application to Christians as they connect in their Christian congregations. Remember, all Christians here at Our Savior are priests, commissioned by Jesus to declare the praises and to apply the gospel to one another. And you know, the really neat thing is that God has made us all so different from one another that we can serve one another with those special gifts, spiritual gifts that he gives us as unique individuals. Some can sing. <laughs> Some can play instruments, right? Some can teach. Some can preach. Some can serve by giving of their time. Some can lead. Some can give large amounts of money, huh? Some are extroverts who can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere, huh? Some are good on computers or sound systems, huh? Some are great at taking care of the, the lawn and the property and fixing stuff, huh? And on and on and on it goes. We're all so different from each other. A congregation needs all the gifts of its priests so that they can serve one another in love. The most important priest in a congregation is most certainly... Not its pastor. You see, everything doesn't depend on him. He's the servant of all the other priests in the congregation. He's not their dictator. He's the shepherd of the flock, not the church manager. The pastor in a congregation of believers is the called theologian for the flock. He's their biggest cheerleader. 
their spiritual counselor, the teacher of the word to the people. He's the culture of the flock, too, who can help every individual priest in the congregation come up with their own plan, you might say, their own personal game plan for the way that maybe they can, as Christians, work out their work of worshiping God in everything that they do. And while the pastor is supposed to be a model of love, the love of Jesus radiating out to God's people, I'll never forget what one of my seminary professors told us. On the first day of classes, my first year at the seminary, when I went to study to be a pastor, he said this, Men, <laughs> the best Christian in your congregation is the one who lets his light shine the best. And I can guarantee you, it won't be the pastor. You see, that, that professor knew that we men needed a little bit of humble pie at that time. Every Christian is a priest. This wonderful Bible truth, rediscovered by Dr. Martin Luther, that doesn't undermine the doctrine of the public ministry, the representative ministry. It doesn't denigrate the offices of pastors or teachers or other called workers. Actually, it does just the opposite. This doctrine supports it. It undergirds it. You see, God has set up the public ministry for the sake of equipping all of his people for the priesthood ministry that they carry out. God puts preachers and teachers in place for the sake of proclaiming his word so that others can see them and know how to do it and know how to do it well. But the real strength of a church, of a congregation, is always its people. All of its people. All of whom know that they have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus to declare his praises wherever God sends them. Every Christian, a priest. Hang on to that precious truth from the Reformation, from our worship service today. And may God help us to live out this, this legacy of the Reformation that we have as we take great joy in what Christ has done for us to set us free from our sins and to serve him as his priests. May we declare the praises of Jesus wherever we end up in life, wherever we go whatever our occupation is, whatever we do. And may we draw strength and guidance to do that from our fellow Christians around us, especially our called pastors and teachers. And then may we pass on this legacy of the Reformation to the next generation, this wonderful privilege that our children and grandchildren have of being priests for God. Amen. <clears throat> and the peace of our God that's beyond our human understanding, oh, that'll keep our hearts and our minds centered in on Jesus and on his beautiful gospel. Amen.